0: Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys, as always, and once again, I cannot believe that we are bringing this guy out of the bullpen again. This dude has been working. We may actually have to start paying you a salary at this point, because this is the most that you have worked during a spring in in a long long time. Uh, it's Josh Marlowe along with us. Final podcast of the official spring season before, of course, we'll move into uh, basically the second part of the offseason and then get prepared for fall camp. We're here to recap the spring game for you. We got uh, a linebacker that entered the transfer portal that we're going to talk about, and we're actually going to go with a little more of a broader college football topic to close the show, which we'll tell you about coming up here in a few minutes. But let's jump into that spring game recap. Carolina played their spring game on Saturday in Keenan Stadium, rainy Keenan Stadium, but still a pretty good turnout uh, as the Tar Heel team beat the Carolina team 14-12 to 12 in 13 series of action, 85 snaps overall, according to head coach Mack Brown in his postgame presser, and that took place over about an hour and 10-minute span from around 3.50 to 5 o'clock, and so we're going to jump in and talk a little bit about that. Um, first of all, uh, I know you mentioned it uh, when we were talking about it here just a little while ago before we went on air Uh, pretty good turnout especially for it being a a rainy day in Chapel Hill Uh, and I think it shows that uh, Carolina football is, is starting to build something because normally in years past if that was a Larry Fedora era spring game one probably wouldn't have taken place probably would have just canceled it and two, there probably wouldn't have been anybody outside of parents in attendance for that game.
1: Yeah, um, a lot of Tar Heel fans braved the elements. We were not some of those Carolina fans that were in attendance uh, due to the weather. To be fair, I had a work meeting as well, that and we took weren't place sitting in. We weren't sitting in that, the rain that morning. So. Um, I've hit that age where I'm only sitting in the rain if it's if I absolutely have to. Spring game, don't have to don't have to sit in the rain. But it was good to see the amount of fans that were in the stands for that. There is a lot of excitement around Carolina football as we're heading into what's supposed to be probably the most expectation-filled season since the last time Mac Brown was here. And so there's a reason why there were a lot of people in the stands because there is a lot of a lot of town on the football field that these fans want to see, and we got to see that on display on Saturday. I think the biggest takeaway from the spring game more than anything. Can we get actual games to move as quickly as that spring game did? Because they played 13 series in an hour and 15 minutes.
0: Yeah, that's not the college football uh, news that we're going to toss out there to you. They are not shortening games. Settle in, folks. It's still going to be a four-and-a-half, five-hour experience on it's, it's whenever it's become you like go. It's like a tennis match marathon out there where it's... I, I mean, look, man, I, I'm with you. Like, look, I love going to Tar Heel games. I, I love being in Keenan Stadium watching them play, but after a while, I mean, we, we've talked about this before, especially because we're guys that live in the Charlotte area. It's it's a full-day experience. Like, when you go and watch them play, that's your whole day. Yeah. And that's in large part because of the way that college football games have become. I mean, you, we're talking about games now. I, I, I mean, if, if, God forbid, they go into overtime. These games, I mean, if, if you go into overtime, you're staring down a five-hour Game that you're I actually got a television. complaint last year because I was mowing my lawn at twelve thirty in the morning when we got back. I mean, yeah, it's 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 truly unbelievable. I don't believe you on that front because <laughs> I don't think you want to mow your grass at twelve thirty in the afternoon most days. I don't blame you. Mowing grass is for chumps. But uh, yeah, I, I I think I mean it was it was definitely interesting. There were a couple takeaways that I took away from it. Um, you know, first of all, I, I think that the competitive depth on this team as a whole is at a much better spot than it was a few years ago. That was, I mean, normally when you go and watch spring games and we saw, you know, ones a few years ago, you know, we watched the one that they played at, at, at Fetzer Field when that was, you know, still around now, of course, it's, it's, it's no longer there. They've redone it, built it up a little bit. Um, but we, you know, we saw those spring games under Larry Fedora Um I'm trying to think. Do we? I we? I don't remember watching a spring game under Butch Davis. I think I was probably a little too young back then to really be uh, putting that on the television. That was during the time where your parents pretty much control what was on the TV. Um, but this was. Th- this was. I'm not going to say it's not like watching Alabama, watching Clemson, stuff like that. But this was an actual. Th- there was competition. You could see it on the field, and and I don't know. That felt good from my standpoint to be able to sit there and watch and say, look, there's guys on both sides here that are going to be really good players or are currently good players look, on the Car- team.
1: Carolina isn't. They're not Alabama. They're not Clemson. They're not Ohio State what those programs have is competitive depth from top to bottom and if you if you go back and you listen to Mac Brown's first press conference when he, when he took the job that's what he stressed the most was that there wasn't enough depth on this all, you know within the program there's depth here now and there's quality talented depth and the difference between that is immeasurable. There was some depth under Leia Fedora, but it wasn't talented depth. It was depth that they were creating with walk-on players and stuff like that. These are guys that are four-star caliber players that are on your two to three deeps uh, at some position groups. You look at that backfield, uh, you know, especially. And that's where the that's why the the evolution, why this program has climbed the last two years is because of the recruiting, because you've got depth on your roster from one through, you know, 65, 70, where do you want to go, which you've got to have because... Because of attrition in today's football, there's going to be injuries. Yep, and now you're 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 more comfortable if certain guys get hurt that you got enough guys behind that can, can replace their production. And a lot of them, and we saw it last year. They're 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 really young, and that's what's the most fun part about it. Is that Carolina's really talented. They're really young, so you're looking at a window of four to five year, four to five years for this team to be really good moving forward.
0: Yeah, and there's guys right now that are coming in as freshmen, maybe even in their second year with the program, that are better talent-wise, than some of the guys that are veterans that are starting for this team. Yep. And that's what's the most exciting part uh, about it. I think you're spot on with that as well. You could just look at these th- this team, even watching the other day. I mean, there was not much drop-off. From let's just look at the linebacker core from Eugene Asante to Power Eccles. Power Eccles is a younger player. You could see that Asante is a little more experienced. Is willing to be a little more aggressive because he knows certain elements of the defense that maybe Power hasn't picked up on yet. But you can, I mean, you could tell that there there are going to be some really competitive battles going forward throughout the next couple of off seasons. And like you said, if you have guys go down, you know, just look at the secondary, for example. Past couple years, Carolina has had moments in their season where, in the secondary, they have just been obliterated by injuries. Now, I mean, you're you're getting to the point at corner where you probably feel confident that even if you were to lose two, three of those guys, you could put out guys that could still help you not only play and, and and compete in games you could put out guys that could still help you win games. And that's yeah. the point that you want to get to with this team. And I thought you, you could see that on the field on Saturday. Uh, the one other takeaway that I did want to mention here because I didn't mention it in the in the article when I did the recap. I didn't even really mention it when I went through and did the position group uh, you know breakdowns after the spring game. One thing that Mac Brown brought up that I did not see in this game that I think is going to be something to watch as they go throughout fall camp to see if it's going to be different from last year. He said that he wanted to have guys up front in that front four that can win one-on-one battles. While there were a lot of really good things that Carolina did on Saturday that should have you encouraged, that was the one area where you didn't see any of those guys emerge in those one-on-one battles. I still think what sh- what Saturday may have given you a little bit of a, a look at is that this team is still going to have to scheme a lot of their blitz looks because I just there there are some really talented guys up there, you know Javari Ritzy made a couple of plays up front as well, and there's a ton of other guys down there that are you know still playing well. Tamari Fox, of course, is out uh, this spring due to an injury, so he'll be back to add to that room, but. I still think it's an area where you're going to have to get creative if you want to get pressure on the quarterback.
1: Yeah, you're still probably a year... A year away from having guys that can win one on one battles. You're you're hoping it's one year instead of two. But and and Mac Brown made it made it known during the spring. They got a lot of their sacks last year because of the way they schemed their defense. So you have confidence that Jay Bateman can scheme to get the amount of pressure you need to get on a quarterback so you can be a, a very a very good defense, which this team has the potential to be a very a, a, you know, let's say it, a top twenty five defense in college football right, right. this season. And so I think you know, as much as you want to be able to win one on one, you've got a coordinator that's smart. Enough that can scheme around the deficiencies within this defense and still make right. it effective.
0: Well, you—the main reason that you want to be able to get one-on-one matchups going your way in the trenches, so that you don't have to to, to scheme as much pressure—is it takes the pressure off of your secondary, your guy because we we saw it at times last year, primarily once they got later into the season, the secondary, primarily the safeties in the middle of the field were beat up sometimes by some of these better passing quarterbacks that that could take advantage of them deep and over the middle of the field. That's where you're wanting to be able to drop some of your linebackers into coverage, not have to blitz them as often, but I think that may just be part of it. Now the good news is, is look, you've got a corner tandem that is as good as just about any in the ACC when fully healthy in Tony Grimes and Storm Duck. Also rotating Kyler McMichael who could start just about anywhere else and then of course if you need him, Deion Andre Holland. So you got a whole bunch of guys that you can use there, uh, and you've got some guys, you know, at, in at safety uh, in the nickel as well with Aquarius Conley. There's a couple of different guys at safety that are probably going to be looking to take steps forward this year. But at the same time, if you could help those guys out, you would love to. You would love for your defensive line to be the guys that are able to get the pressure on the quarterback. But I just don't know if that is the case. And again this is a spring game you can't if you're basing everything if you are saying look this is what I'm basing my perspective of this 2021 Tar Heel team on then uh I'm gonna be honest with you yes. you probably shouldn't be watching much college football because it's it's let's call it what it is it's a it's a scrimmage in the middle of April. I mean, granted, it's on television. They put a little more stock into it probably than some of the other scrimmages. But at the same time, it's not something where you should be, you know, if a guy struggled in this game, he's gonna, he's not going to play well all year. That That's not what you should be looking at this ass. But let's look at some of the guys that did stand out. And again, <laughs> I, I just said that you can't base everything off of the spring game. We're not. But let's look at some of those guys that had good games in this, and this could propel them going forward into the fall. Uh, as they get prepared for fall camp over the summer. Uh, We'll start. One of the guys that I think really had a big game in this one is Eugene Asante at linebacker. And I think the biggest thing is, is not only did he have a big game – four tackles in his time on the field didn't play a whole lot which we knew he wasn't gonna play a whole lot because he even though he's technically not a veteran he's only started one game he knows the system Mac Brown wants to get some of the younger guys in there figure out what he was gonna what he's gonna do uh, at backup linebacker uh, in the middle of that defense but uh, you know still looked really good and the thing that I think I liked a lot about what he did in the game on Saturday. Was they moved him around a lot? He, you know, came off the edge, picked up a blitz at one point, um, or uh, picked up a sack at one point, is what I should say on a blitz. And uh, I, you know, I, I think you're starting to see that he is going to be used in a similar fashion to the way that Chad Surratt was. And to be honest with you, he's probably got better overall skills, and, and instincts at linebacker that are probably going to allow him to be even more successful than Surratt was. Yeah,
1: I mean, we, we came out of the a game, and we entered that game with Jay Bateman saying, this kid's going to be a stud. He can play. We saw in the AM game that he can be a player. He led the team in tackles with 10. And you saw on Saturday that he can do a lot for this defense and is going to do a lot for this defense. Jasserat was a hell of a player, is a hell of a player. Caroline's getting an upgrade with him with Eugene Asante on the field over Chas Surratt, in my opinion. His ability, his range is is, is more than Chas Surratt's. He'll be able to do more for this defense that they couldn't do last year. And a lot of it's because he's been playing that kind of football for his entire life. Chas Surratt was a converted quarterback, so the fact that Surratt became the kind of guy he was was awesome in and of itself. But this guy is going to give you a chance to be really good um, because he can get to the quarterback, He can make plays in the passing game. He can make plays. He's a complete linebacker in this scheme. Yep. That's what Carolina, as great as Surratt and Gimel have been, they haven't had a complete linebacker since Bruce Carter, Kwon Sturman, those guys. They've got one, you believe right now, in Eugene Asante. And I think it's going to be fun to watch this kid play moving forward this season.
0: Yeah, and I think you know one thing that it does is it allows Jeremiah Gimmel to be that guy that really just focuses on getting downhill and helping you stop the run. Yeah. Um, if he needs to drop back in, into coverage, that's something he's been working on, yeah, as, he, as he said during uh, some of the spring interviews that he did with the media. So th- you're going to have a really good linebacker tandem. That's the one, that's the only area that you're losing a starter from last year on defense. And to be honest with you, I'm with you. I think it, it, it is a, an upgrade because of ma- – mainly, I, I know dropping back into coverage is, is one thing that's big, but we didn't see it much. Chassarac could cover when he was in space. Not great, but it, it, he's a guy that had that ability. The main thing, though, is he covers sideline to sideline about as well as just about anybody. It's something Jay Bateman wanted in his defense. you gotta got to have it today's there. football. And remember, that was w- – when they – targeted eugene asante that was after jay bateman came in that was his first linebacker recruit he keyed in on that guy and wanted him from the minute that he got to campus and he got him and you can see now why he wanted him as badly as he did and why he's going to be able to be successful uh and you're right i mean in today's football everybody's looking for the next isaiah simmons and look i get that um, but at the same time, I mean, you, you know, Asante's got a little bit more size on him than Simmons does. Probably not as good as a co- of a coverage guy, but he's still going to be extremely successful for Carolina this coming season. Another guy that stood out to me was Caleb Hood. Uh, and, and again, amongst a, a packed group of running backs, um, you know, the, the carries were, you know, going to be spread out. Uh, between some guys. Some of the guys, I think, like, you know, like, look, Ty Chandler got two carries. He was pretty much in on the first two drives, and then that was all that we saw of them. him. Um, you know, Wall... Carolina you know Carolina fans probably wanted to see more of them I think the staff knows this is a veteran guy we'll figure out more about him we, we we've probably figured out a little bit about him in spring practice ourselves we'll figure out more about him when he gets into fall camp it's about making sure that some of these younger guys some of these guys that we're not as sure about on our depth chart get some of those reps and Caleb hood was one of those guys that received him he was the guy that uh, that started the game for the second team option off- when they came out, he was alongside Jacoby Criswell, and, and I thought he looked really, really good. I mean, his one his one uh, chance to catch a pass out of the backfield was a little bit overthrown. He wasn't able to come down with that. But I really like the physicality that he ran with. I think he's got some pretty good speed. And The main thing that I wanted to see from him was did it look natural for him to carry the football it, You know, when it was being handed off to him and everything like that because he was a high school quarterback, so it was a position change for him. And uh, I, I thought it definitely looked natural, and I thought he looked great out there. He looked really good, and the guy that also looked really
1: good that you didn't have listed on the sheet, I thought Josh Henderson looked really well um, as well, he got six carries, thirty three hey, yards, one ran a thing touch. That was
0: weird. He only got one drive, unless I was just unless I just missed him the rest of the game. I I thought he looked good as well, but I I went with Hood over him because we saw Hood more than we saw we saw Henderson.
1: The thing I took away from watching all the running backs that were on the field, and Carolina's got a boatload of them. They're not going to have a problem finishing runs, meaning that they've still got physicality in that backfield. They've got guys that want to pop some pads. They're going to run over some dudes. And that's something that you got used to with. You had Antonio Williams. We saw Javante Williams run over half of Miami's defense and half of Duke's defense this season they still got that levical physicality in their run game, which is something that I think this offense is going to need because you've got to churn out yards. You go back to the, um, the loss to A&M in the Orange Bowl. You had a fourth and one. You couldn't get a yard. You've got guys on the on the field that can get you that yard. And Caleb put out well, – I'm, I'm with you. That guy looked like a natural running back. He is stocky. He is going and look. He he's a freshman. He's going to get significant playing time. I think this season. I think he's going to get meaningful carries and meaningful football games mm-hmm. for the Tar Heels this year. And as, as I've said all season long, I don't think Carolina's got to have one running back. I think they want to have two or three, like they had the first year with Mac Brown and Phil Longa. Right, right. And they've got a bunch of different running backs can do a bunch of different
0: things, which I think is going to help them as the, as the passing game comes along with it. When Mac Brown was brought in and was In his introductory press conference, which offense did we hear him compare the offense that he wanted to? Is Oklahoma. Oklahoma. They rotate backs just about as good as anybody in the country. They've done it for years. They have multiple backs every single year that can come in, and if they need them to take over a game from time to time, they can. They run multiple backs, and it works. It always has. So I think you're right. I think that's what Carolina is going to look for. I think two is is where they want to be, but we've heard Mac Brown say this spring it's probably going to be more like 2019, which in my mind, means that he thinks there are going to probably be three running backs at the at the least that are going to help carry you back there. Now look, there may be a fourth one there. I'm not really sure about that, but I think what's probably going to end up happening is those two guys that you mentioned are going to be the ones battling it out for reps behind Ty Chandler, who they brought in for a reason. He's going to get playing time. And I mean, look, I know he, he didn't have a great game on Saturday, but DJ Jones is going to play a big role for for this team. There was a reason that he was part of that first team. He came in right after Ty Chandler did. He's going to have significant, a, a significant role in this offense. He was the number 3 running back a year ago. We saw that in the game against Western Carolina. He was the first running back to enter the game after Michael Carter and Javante Williams came out he's going to be there as well. So it likely comes down to Josh Henderson and Caleb Hood battling four carries there. So, uh, But I think, yeah, both guys showed that they could be really good options there. Um, with with Henderson, I feel like he was one of those guys that kind of got pushed to the back burner just a little bit, sort of similar to, to what we're seeing right now with Elijah Green, uh, who is also a member of that backfield. People are just looking at him as a guy that, Came in, he's already a junior You've got a guy in DJ Jones that's younger than him That's ahead of him on the depth chart, you've got Caleb who's playing well, so You know, it, what is Josh Henderson's role going to be? He showed And it, it, not only in this Game, in, in the prior scrimmage to that the, the, the Saturday before The spring game, Mac Brown When he talked in his press conference midweek On that Tuesday, said that he had a really good Showing in that scrimmage as well That was close to the public, so Yeah, I'm telling you, both of those guys, it's going to be a really great battle between those two. And who knows, they could go with four running backs to start the season and just see who sort of sticks on as the year goes along. And remember, this is a run-first offense. Oh, I 100% agree with you on that. I'm going to be honest, Like, if you want to have the most success— And I said this last year, and I'll always – if someone brings this up, I will point them back to this game. If you think that this is a pass-first offense, go back and watch the Virginia Tech game from two years ago where they lost in six overtimes. Sam Howell had one of his best games of his career, and they lost because yep. they couldn't run the ball in that game. Th- got to run it. And I
1: think that that's the thing we got to stress. It's not a slight to slinging Sammy. We love Sam Howell. He's, in our opinion, the best quarterback in college football. Look,
0: he he won the weight game on his arm yeah. last year. They didn't run the ball great in that game. So it's possible, but you have to have an otherworldly performance, and he can't do that every week.
1: But this offense is designed. He's going to play his best when they're running the football at will. So if they can get back to right. that like they were last year, then Carolina's going to compete to win to win an ACC Why championship. Why would you
0: not want to keep the defense on their toes? I never get that mindset of, well, you know, we, we don't need to be a run for, we we need Sam Howell to be able to stand back there and win games while throwing the ball 60 times a game. Why? What? Do you think the NFL is looking for that? No. Like, just if, if he ends up getting drafted into a good situation, well, you know, he's got really good pieces around him. So? That's that's a good job by an NFL GM of putting a guy in a position to succeed. Like, that's what you want to do at the college level as well. If Sam Howell has a great running game beside him, that's a positive. That's not a, a knock on Sam Howell. It shouldn't be. So, I agree with you. I think if this team is going to have success – they don't have to be able to run the ball at the rate that they did last year. That Last year's run run offense for Carolina was phenomenal. That was a huge step forward for them. If they are even remotely close to what they did last year, I still think that you will be proud of, of, of this offense for this year. You'll be satisfied with what this offense is putting out there. The main thing is you're trying to at least have some sort of balance within that offense. That's the key there. Uh, you look at you know another guy that was in that backfield, not with the running back groups, though. Quarterback Drake May was another guy that stood out to me. Now, you may be saying to yourself, how in the hell are you pointing to a guy that was 3-for-8 passing for 19 yards and saying that he had a good day. Well, look, first of all, his receivers didn't do him much justice out there. Uh, also, the referees didn't help him out. The throw to Justin also on the sideline, when they showed the replay, was a catch. That should have been a, a what, probably 20-something yard gain down the field. Um, but the main thing was is you looked at some of the throws that he made, mainly the ball placement. I mean, it looked really Really good, and you can see why Mac Brown is comparing some of the stuff that we saw from him to what we saw from Sam Howell his first spring on campus.
1: Yeah, uh, I thought you were going to keep going there. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I think what you saw with him is that he has the physical attributes, the instincts. He's going to be a big time player. The thing that I saw, the first thing that stood out to me when he put a helmet on, and it's not because he's wearing number ten, he looked a lot like Mitch Trubisky there when I when I first saw a camera with him, I was like, holy shit. Well, About that's Whoa, 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 whoa!
0: We 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 had to blink one out, but um, no, Ooh. you you you. Well, he looked like he looked like Mitch Trubisky if uh, if if Mitch went on a South Beach diet or something. Right. My goodness, it, he is small. He is small. He I, has to put on some weight. I think that's the thing is that.
1: you're, you're good thing you got Sam Howell and Criswell with you because Drake May he's got arm talent and he's he's going to be a big play for Carolina. He's got to he's got to get a, a college football body. He doesn't have that one right now, which is right. expected. The kid's right. still growing, for Christ's sake. He's going to fill into fill into himself, but he made some throws down the field that he you know displayed his arm strength that he can get the ball down the field. Um, I loved his versatility with his legs. Um, you know, he, yeah, that surprised me a little bit. Right, and, and so I think you know he's a guy that. Whenever the time comes for him to take control of this offense, he's going to make some big plays, and it's just something that Carolina, you know, I made the comment last year, or might have been, yeah, I think it was last year that Carolina, in my opinion, had the best quarterback room in college football. They could have that this year as well in terms of looking at the future of how the how the position projects for them. Because I think you've got three guys in that in that in your in your room right now that can produce, and I mean, hell, Jefferson Boas also can produce two in the running game if you need him to. So. There's just a lot. It's what you know we mentioned, talented depth. It's at the quarterback position as well with Howell, Criswell, May, as with your running backs too. So it's just it's good to see the program
0: back to that that point. Yeah, don't sleep on Jefferson Boas. Not only did he have that long touchdown run, but remember this is a guy that had over 80 total touchdowns in his senior
1: year. I mean, I think high school.
0: He, I, I think Lash should run two, a two quarterback system again he's a, and just throw him out there. He's a, he's a legitimate he, he's a legitimate player. I mean, if he to be honest, like in all. Seriously, if he was at a Group of Five school, he would probably be a starter. So, like that—that's the point that you've gotten to in your quarterback room, where a few years ago you were a Nathan Elliott injury away from possibly having to run Wildcat. <laughs> I mean, because Chaz of course, went down with the injury in that Miami game, so you were staring down the barrel of just a a horrific scenario uh, that you could have possibly been in there. Uh, and then, of course, when Sam Howell came in. As a freshman, you had uh, Vincent Amendola as your backup for a portion of the year yeah. after Jace Reuter went down with injury. So uh, Carolina now in a really, really good spot. Um, it feels like Drake probably going to have a really competitive quarterback competition with Criswell because we talked. About, I talked about that going in. I thought Criswell could have put a little bit of distance between himself and May, given himself a little bit of an advantage heading into the fall if he had a good performance. I think May probably put it right back to a neck and neck battle as they head towards the fall. It's going to be a really good one. But as you said, he's got to add the weight because you can look at Criswell. Criswell looks like a college quarterback. He's big. If he takes hits, he's going to be okay. If Drake May takes one of those open field hits like that, it's going to take Drake a minute to get up from that hit. Um, But he wasn't the only freshman that stood out. The two freshman linebackers, those were probably the guys that had the best games to me and the ones that really caught my attention. When I was watching that game, Ra Ra Dilworth is the guy that we've talked about the most, and, and Ra Ra had a fantastic finish to the game. Three tackles, um, including uh, one and a half tackles for loss. Uh, yeah, he, he. I mean, he looked he looked really really good out there. But I thought the guy that was the best of that group, uh, I, I, I thought it was Power Eccles. He was. He, First of all, he was one of the starters for that second-team unit, and he was flying around from word go. I think that everybody... You know, a lot of people have really been focused on on Dilworth, and, and rightfully so. I mean, he's a special talent. He's a guy that, when we talk about that Isaiah Simmons type that can get out and play like a safety in coverage, he can do that. But Power Eccles is going to be a really special player because he, you talk about a guy that plays off the of instincts, but has the ability to recover and play sideline to sideline. That's Power Eccles.
1: Yeah, Rah-Rah's
0: going to get a lot of Rah-Rah
1: this season with his play <laughs>
0: on the field. He showed his Dilworth the other day.
1: And and, and I mean, Power Eccles. I mean, look with those two dudes. I mean, great names, and they're and, and they're really good football players, and they're going to be impactful players on this defense. Move. They give you the feel of Bruce Carter, Kwanstrom. Sort of, that you know when you, yeah when, when you yeah. have those two dudes back when Butch Davis was building this thing Don't up. Don't forget my guy
0: Kevin Reddick. Don't you, even think
1: had, about you, it. All those guys. When, you know, when when you had that kind of linebacker play it made everything easier for your guys up front yep. and helped your guys back in in the back four as well carolina has that in those two dudes now they're young this is a complex scheme but they're talented enough they're instinctive enough and they're smart enough to pick up on what's being asked of them they can and they're going to make plays and i mean I, it's just i think that's why there's all the excitement is because the defense now and it, we talked all spring we we thought the defense was going to be ahead of the offense, and you saw that on Saturday. In my opinion, I thought the defense looked ahead of the offense, and even even with the young guys, the the incoming freshman defensive players looked ahead of the incoming freshman offensive players, and it was led with Power Eccles and Raw Rod Dilworth.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right with that, and I, I think part of it is look, it's no slight to the offense. I don't think that means that you should be overly concerned about what the offense is going to look like in one one sense because it was you know. It was raining. It was just a horrible day. I mean, look, you got to be able to play in the rain. I understand that, but that's less than ideal conditions to come out and play well. The the thing that you take away from that is, hey, your defense looked really, really good. If we get in one of those games later on in the year where our offense can't score, our defense looks like it can handle itself. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're 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 right about that um, for sure. I, I think, look, yeah, there are some complex you know parts to this defense, but Mac Brown did say. As the spring went along, when when his first press conference, he talked about both guys, talked about power and rah-rah, and he said, look, both of these guys are talented, but they're freshmen. It's going to take them some time to grow, and we're seeing that already. By the end of the spring, he was already saying, these guys don't look like freshmen. These guys are morphing into guys that can play if they need to. He didn't say that exact sentence, but that's pretty much the mindset that he was giving you. And, you know, one of the moves we'll talk about here in a second probably shows that as well. But these guys look ready to compete for reps at backup linebacker. And that's the other part. Just I I, when I look at this position group, I compare it to tight end with some of the younger guys that are there. You are not competing to be a starter. So you have room to grow. You're competing to be a backup guy. If somebody goes down with injury, maybe they throw you into a little bit of a bigger role. But they're still going to rotate guys there to make sure that if there is a learning curve, it's not too steep where you're going to be put in a situation where you're going to be made out to look bad. So that's what I think is important when you talk about those linebackers. Um, you know, Another thing that impressed me, you go back to the second drive for that second team offense you look at that drive the second team offensive line absolutely dominated the first team defensive line you could take away from the from that the fact that you're a little concerned about the first team defensive line that's not what I took away from that. I am more excited about the depth of that offensive line unit because you saw a lot of guys and some young guys that are going to be big parts of this team going forward that were really, really good on Saturday. Primarily, the guy that stood out the most for me from that group was Jonathan Adorno. I thought he looked really, really good, especially in pull block situations.
1: Yeah, he, he, he had a great block that sprung a big run. Carolina's offense, as talented as it is, Will only go as far as the depth of, as that offensive line is going to take them. And Mac Brown has said since he's gotten back here, they want to get back to having eight to ten guys. Last year they we entered the we entered the first game of the season with I think he said six dudes he felt really comfortable with.
0: Right. Tyrone Johnson got himself in there uh, became the 7th but that was really that was know, really it. From what you saw on Saturday they've got they've probably got at least 8 they're comfortable with
1: and they and they, they may have a full allotment of 10.
0: Yeah, Will, William Barnes is definitely in there. He had another good game the other day w- was doing it a tackle as well, which we had saw him move inside to guard because he he had gotten up at one point and and this is if you don't know the the, the story that has been told by a lot of the other major outlets at one time he got up to 342 pounds. He was he he put on a lot of weight, and you know they, they said, "Look, he just wasn't doing the things that he needed to do." He's down to three twenty now. He's one of those guys that they look at at in, in a similar way that they do with Joshua Zudu, Marcus McKeithen, which I didn't know they were still doing this. Where where those guys now, including William Barnes, can play guard or they can play tackle for you. So he's doing a little bit of both. Um, I thought you know one of the other guys that probably isn't going to get talked about as much dude I thought Caden Baker looked really good you saw him a couple times down the field with a couple of blocks showing how athletic he can be so I I'm with you I think you know and Mac did address that he did say that as of right now he said there were eight guys that he trusts including William Barnes But he did say, I forget which press conference it was, that he believes that that number can get higher as they go into the fall because there are some young guys that they're looking at, primarily at offensive tackle, that they think will develop into really good players. And I think at this point... You know, we heard him mention him last year, and I think maybe when he was going through those guys, maybe he just forgot him, or maybe he even did mention him, and i and I'm forgetting. Adorno's probably going to be in that group as well. Yeah. He mentioned him last year. It, it was just the fact that he didn't have the size. He's put on more size. He looks pretty good. This this offensive line unit is 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 deep, and they've got some talented guys that, that are going to be able to help them for years to come. Yeah. So then the last group that I want to talk about before we you know sort of move on to some of our other stuff is the safeties. This was the position group we talked about it here uh, last week. We've talked about it a lot since the season ended as well. It's going to be a group where there is competition because, and Mac Brown said it. There were some times where they played really well. There were some times where the safety group really struggled. He wants more consistency back there, and they need more consistency back there, especially if you're going to be as blitz-heavy as you were a year ago. And on Saturday, I thought there were some guys that played pretty well. One thing that was interesting out of the gate is if you watched from the beginning, the starter alongside of Trey Morrison, was not Jaquarius Conley, was not Don Chapman, who was, of course, in the nickel. Wasn't Cameron Kelly, though, either. It was Giovanni Biggers. That's a little shocking because Gio is not a guy that we've heard a lot about, but he's a guy that has made plays when he's been on the field, and I thought he looked pretty solid. And and you look at him, you look at a guy that started for the second-team defense, I thought Cameron Roseman Sinclair, he was everywhere. He made a couple of nice tackles in the box, which is we knew that was what he was when he came out of high school. He basically played a hybrid safety linebacker-type position at Myers Park High School in Charlotte and he he looked really good but also showed that he could he could handle himself in coverage there were a couple times he was matched up one on one as a safety against slot wide receivers and I thought handled his own he looked pretty good so i think Again, there are some guys that you know were a part of the team last year that are still going to be a big part of it. I'm not saying that Giovanni Biggers or Cameron Roseman Sinclair are going to have a huge role in this defense this season. But I think what it is showing is there is some competition at safety that is going to extend into the fall and is going to give this team a chance to have some some more consistent success back there, if anything, because if a guy's struggling, they're going to rotate him out. Yeah, I
1: think that's the thing when we're looking at this defense. That's the one question that we have that they've got to shore up. They've got to figure out who's going to start alongside Trey Morrison. You get that answered, you're going to feel a lot more confident about that part of your defense moving forward and as you get into the, the season. And, I mean, look, the ACC has become a, a league that – you know, can be pass heavy with certain schools that have all have always been run heavy in, in the in within your own division and of course when you go across. So um, but you know, Conley made a play down in the box and I mean and I think that's something that you I mean for me, I mean that that's what Carolina, they they need that. I and mean, EJ Emanuel made a comment about he's not afraid to put his helmet down and hit somebody, making you know, an illegal hit at that so he's not getting, you know, in trouble for targeting but Um, I thought it was interesting because Biggers has been a guy that's just been a role player and comes in games when the games have been a blow either one way or another, but has definitely made the most of his opportunity this spring. Got rewarded with the start on Saturday and recorded three tackles, two solos, so he could be a piece of this defense heading into the fall.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a name that you definitely got to keep an he's eye on. He's ready for a bigger role, is and, basically and, what I'm saying. God. And and we've talked about, you know, one of the other things that they really, really want to do is find somebody at that nickel spot that would allow Jaquarius Conley to move back and play safety. Because as you said, when he comes in the box, he is going to make running backs pay. And he's, he's a pretty sure-handed tackler as well. So you love to have that guy at safety that can do all that and, by the way, can cover one one-on-one if you need him to. Um, And, and, you know, I I, I still think that's another area that they'll have to address, but I did want to throw out there that he didn't play a ton, but DeAndre Boykins looked pretty good. Two total tackles in the game, half a tackle for loss, and a pass breakup. Was part of that second team defense. He showed some flashes, so I think again, that's your goal. If look, if Don Chapman can be that guy, and you can move Conley back to safety, that would be amazing. I don't know if that's going to happen because it, Don really wasn't tested that much. Part of that, I think, was because it, it it was raining as hard as it was. The other part of it was, I mean, Jacoby Criswell. How many? I, I, how many passes did he actually attempt? Let's see here. There's three. two, three, the whole game. Drake May attempted eight. That's it. So yeah. they, there weren't that many opportunities for these guys to be tested. Um, so I, I think that's, that's something that you still got to wait and see on. But I, I definitely think it's an interesting group. So I'll ask you this, this one question before we go ahead and move on and talk about some of the other storylines. When you look at the you know, heading into fall camp now as we go throughout the summer, which battle are you most excited about right now? When fall rolls around, to see continue. Most excited, uh, I would probably
1: lean backup quarterback or how the running back position mm. steps up. Okay. The most important is the safety position. Who, okay. And so that—that's how I answer that. The most excited about the offensive side of the football because I love offense. The most important for this team, in my opinion, is who's going to start, and that safety spot beside Trey Morrison.
0: Yeah. No. Those are those are good ones. I would say. Um, Let's see here, because I want to I want to try to change it up a little bit. So I would say most exciting backup linebacker I, I, because I think you know we talked about Power Eccles, Ra Rod Dilworth, another guy that had a good game in this one. That is going to be a factor there is Cedric Gray, uh, who of course was a special teams member a year ago. He looked pretty good on Saturday as well got the start for their second-team defense, and played well. So I think that's probably going to be one of the more exciting ones. I'm with you as well when it comes to that running back position. I think mainly that number 3 running back role is going to be really good because I think Henderson and Hood are going to be going back and forth. Uh, And then most important, I I think you're right, safety because you look at that as one of the really – in, it, that's probably your only starting position that you are still trying to figure out right now because I I think you know running back you are but like can we just admit at this point that running back is not going to have a a, a set in zone starter each week it'll probably rotate and I think Ty Chandler and DJ Jones are going to be part of it yeah. so that kind of helps you there to sort of say okay that's not as concerning the only area that I would say could make that an, an interesting competition is if for some reason there are setbacks with either Bo Corrales or Chaffrey Brown, then wide receiver could become interesting because then you'd have Emory Simmons, Antone Green. My boy made a play though down the field in this game. So. Emory Emery looked good. Um one of the guy i I had a hard time not putting antone green on there because I thought he looked pretty good as well that was Sam uh, Sam Howell's go-to target all game long that's like yeah throw he, to. he was feeding it to him and and green I'll, th- I'll give it to Antone. that was about as fluid and, and as fast as he's looked on the field Uh, Since he got there as a freshman he this is the first time that he's looked 100% comfortable in a long long time so I I think that he's a guy that if Carolina needs him at some point this year on the outside he's going to be able to rotate in and and, and help you out there Um, I one thing that I was disappointed though before we move on real quick. Uh, I didn't get to see – I thought I thought J.J. Jones was going to have a chance to have a have a solid game in this one. He didn't get targeted one time right. on the outside, unfortunately. I was hoping to see him get a, a couple of passes thrown his way, but uh, not quite. So we'll move on to uh, some of the other news. As we mentioned, Tar Heel linebacker in the transfer portal, Kadri Jackson, who interestingly enough was the first-team starter next to Eugene Asante in the game on Saturday – Played rather well as well. Had two total tackles in the game, one tackle for loss. Um, you know, overall, not a bad day for him, but he ends up entering the transfer portal. Uh, you know, you look at his time at Carolina, He's he'd only been there two years, but he played in all 25 games that Carolina played. Played 113 snaps on the defensive side of the football, finished with 18 total tackles, one. Uh, tackle for loss and a forced fumble. Uh, Of course, was a key member this past year and his first year with the team as well in 2019 on the special teams unit, and he will have three years of eligibility left uh, wherever he transfers to, but uh, I think, you know, again, this is, you're getting, you're going to get the same reaction from fans every time. I'm not really worried about that. Um, More, when you look at this move, I think this is an understandable move because we just talked about Power Echols Rah Rod Dilworth, who we knew when they were when, when they signed with Carolina, yes. that they were going to make pushes to get ahead of him, Cedric Gray, other guys. That are currently on this roster. This move makes some sense. It it hurts a little bit because you you wanted to have that competitive depth back there, but at the same time, it makes sense. I think for 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 both sides that he is moving and and into the transfer portal to look for a, a new spot.
1: Yeah, he was the guy that looked at the field on Saturday and said, "I'm not going to play much here moving forward. I need to go somewhere else and play." Mac Brown made it known two before the spring game they were going to sit down and have these conversations. They're being I guess proactive about these conversations and really the portal itself because the
0: yeah, portal doesn't is, want to get caught off guard. Yeah, that's it's, understandable. It's not
1: going away, so you have a chance to look it on film and say, "Hey, look, kid, you know we got you know." And I mean, look, Kadri Jackson's done. A, he's he's done some good things. He'll land at a good place and he'll be a good player. It's yeah. not. A, it's not yeah. a big loss. I think what I think it's just showing that you know for all those times that we said you know when Mac Brown couldn't relate to college players and you know. He's proven that he can relate to the current landscape of college football, using knowing the transfer portals out there. And like you said, don't want to get blindsided by some guy entering at the fifth yes, hour or yep. something like that. Have these conversations. Help him go find somewhere to go play because you've got rah Dilworth and all these other guys that are going to come behind you and make plays. So, I um, mean, for all the Carolina fans, like we we dealt with it with the basketball program this off season, this football program, just shut up. No one cares about your opinion. If yeah, I, I mean, you want an opinion, get a podcast.
0: <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move from move on from that uh that 18-year-old Josh uh the podcaster comment. I mean, I'm there. just saying
1: cuz it's the same thing every time. I, I mean, look, you, you, they I understand the it's not thought like- that the kid wants to play. He's not quitting on Carolina. He wants to play. He's right. not
0: going to play much at Carolina. Go somewhere else and play. I mean, look, my thing, uh, my thing about it is, is look, this isn't a, you know, a, a, a fresh, a true freshman, backup quarterback that gets beat out for the starting job by a senior. And, you know, if you hold on another year, you're going to take over and probably be able to lead the program to great things or whatever. Then I can understand people saying, well, this is just, you know, doesn't like the competition, uh, is just looking to start, whatever. I don't think that's the case for Codre Jackson. You're right. I think he looked at this group and said, look, Jeremiah Gimmel is, is ahead of me. He's still got one more. You know, this is his final year, potentially. Remember, Jeremiah Gimmel can come back after this season's over because this past year with covid-19 it technically you can come back for an extra season anybody that was uh, that that was on the team from this past year w- what ends up happening is so Jeremiah Gimmel last year was a junior he will technically be a senior this year but if he wants to come back for his super senior season he will be able to do that because he was on the roster on a college team during the 2020 season that's the thing that you're going to have to monitor going forward over the next couple of years with guys that were even true freshmen last year so there's a chance that he could be there For another two years Eugene Asante is not going anywhere Anytime soon I think Eugene Asante is a great player He's probably a guy that's going to be a three Four year player at Carolina And then you're talking about Guys in, in Power Eccles and Ra-Ra-Dilworth who you know, I mean, let's be honest, even if they haven't passed you yet, they are inevitably going to pass you on the depth chart. Look, this isn't like all of my breakups with with women. This
1: is a compromising breakup. This is what's best for probably even for Carolina because you've got right. a lot of talent behind you and for him. So this this makes
0: a lot of sense. And can we not, sh- should this, the one of the focuses here should be a credit to both him for making making the decision early and a credit to Mac Brown for having these conversations a week after not even a week after the spring game is over this is not only are you not wanting to be blindsided by guys that are thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, this leading. isn't Walker Kessel. That was a blindsided right. transfer. You're also not wanting to blindside a young man when he gets to fall camp and say, Hey, I know that we were in the weight room telling you all year, all, you know, all summer, hey, you're competing for the backup job, but you ain't really competing for the backup job. That's the other thing that Mac Brown is doing. He is sitting down with these guys with their position coaches and telling them right out, look, this is who is ahead of you on the depth chart. This is the role you're probably going to play. Do you is this the role that you envision for yourself, or do you think that you can go somewhere else and have a little bit more success, play a little bit more, and ultimately get where you want to go? And if that person, if that player looks them in the face and tells them, "Look, I really feel like I can go somewhere else. It's going to help my chances of making the NFL." I mean what are you going to say no I tell
1: the kid no Yeah
0: I mean come on so I, I I'm not uh, to be honest with you, I, I'm not hurt by it at all. I think it's a good decision uh, for him. I think he's going to probably have a chance to go probably to a Group of Five school, um, maybe even a, another Power Five school, and he's going to have a chance to have success because he's a versatile player. He he can cover in space. He was a former safety in high school. He, he you know he's shown that he can be a consistent tackler. It's just you got guys that are behind you that are going to probably be in, you know I mean. I'm going to be honest with you. One of those two linebackers, I'd be stunned if one of those two guys is not an eventual first-round NFL draft pick. They're that good. So I, I, I totally understand the move there, um, and Carolina's going to be fine. They've got the depth there at linebacker to, to you know hold their own. I mean, it doesn't really matter because, look, there'll be some rotation there. They've already said that's the one position where it's going to be somewhat similar to last year. Jeremiah Gimmel and Eugene Asante will not come off the field often. So uh, you move on from that. Um, One other thing that I did want to mention before we get to the college football, the the big college football topic, Uh, somebody did ask um, in one of the Facebook groups uh, and then – uh, a couple people actually asked me personally About Josh Downs' injury This is not It doesn't appear to be anything serious He has been dealing with apparently Turf toe for a few years now
1: He's down and, He's just not out
0: And and he is uh So just like that joke. And apparently he has uh, gone in, gotten surgery on that, try to correct uh, what has apparently been a long lingering problem for him. It appears like he's going to be fine. I I don't think that's anything to be concerned about. He will probably be 100% uh, during the fall. I I don't think he would have that surgery if he thought there was any chance that he wasn't going to be able to play during the fall. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about with that. So we move on to the broader college football topic. Topic, and that is that the College Football Playoff Committee has said that they are considering expanding. Uh, and I uh, I saw an update earlier here. Oh, I'm going to try to look for it. Oh, here we go. Uh, from Bleacher Report, it's actually from The Athletic, saying that the 12th team college football playoff is starting to build support. So this is the newest piece of news, and what is something that is sort of Evolved as the week has gone along. It started really over the weekend and has now turned into an even bigger storyline as we've gotten to the middle of this week. Um, you know, Basically, the College Football Playoff Management Committee uh, said that they, they told ESPN they have discussed as many as 63 different expansion possibilities. Not sure what all of those entail, um, but one thing that uh, we did hear from director Bill Hancock is he said nothing is imminent. I think that Bill Hancock is full of crap. I think that expansion's coming. Let's be really honest here. And I think that um, Paul Feinbaum, who was on the Mac Attack Morning Show here in Charlotte, where we lived, he put it really great the other day. Is it is expansion going to, for sure, solve the problems that college football has right now? No. No. But, at this point, is what you're doing right now working? No. No. You. So, why not at least try it? It probably isn't going to work, but at the least, you're going to have more teams in the conversation. There's going to be more teams to talk about during these games when ESPN decides... Why don't we do a sideshow interview in the middle of the third quarter here with a random college football playoff committee member? <laughs> I mean, at, at that at the least, there are going to be more games that matter for whatever reason, whether it's playoff seeding, with some of these teams that'll be at the top, like Clemson, Alabama, who we know will probably be in just about every year, especially if they expand, or for the teams that are trying to make it into the college football playoff. Um, and, and you know, one last thing that I wanted to mention before we'll start sort of dive into the conversation here is that the scenarios that we talked about out of those sixty-three, there are different scenarios that involve six, eight. 10, 12, and that's right, as many as 16 teams that could have an opportunity to play for a national championship. I don't, going to be honest with you, don't understand how 12 is the number that they're going with there. I think 10 and 12, to me, were the ones that I looked at and said, I don't think these make any sense. 12 is apparently the one that they really like. But when, you, when, when we talk about expansion, because it seems inevitable, what do you think is the right number Because I think that there is some pretty heavy debate about this, but I feel like for the most part, if you're a big-time college football fan, you're probably either a 6 or 18 guy. All right, so I'll go on a limb and say I don't think they
1: need to expand the playoff. Um, In my opinion, I think they should go back to 2. I think the BCS format worked just as has been more proven than the college football playoff format has been proven thus far. It was more compelling, and the title games were a lot better. There aren't, in most years, six teams, eight teams, 10 10 teams or 12 teams that are national championship contenders. Hardly ever. Usually your fourth team, as we've seen in the playoff format, isn't isn't really a contender to win a national championship a la Notre Dame or Michigan Michigan State was a three-seed the year they got beat by Alabama. But what we've seen is that the playoff hasn't been very competitive. So I don't think expansion is going to solve it. I still think Clemson and Alabama are going to dominate because they are the two best programs in the country. You can't argue that. Ultimately, the right number is 12 because you give value back to your New Year's Six Bowl games. And I think that's why you got to go with 12. Because... And for our for, from our standpoint at twelve, we have more a more realistic shot at making the playoff. And but the more important thing is that all your New Year Six bowl games once again have meaning, because if 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 it's a New Year Six bowl game that's not a playoff game, there are going to be players that are going to sit out. Yep, we saw that with our own program this past season. So I think that's why you've got to go twelve, is because that way you get your six most prestigious games with meaning. Now granted your top four teams are gonna have a you know a buy, but your six games will all be involved with the playoff and maybe maybe you can create some more drama, but I don't think expansion's going to solve it. And I think it's just something that this is gonna run its course. Will Clemson and Alabama always dominate college football? No.
0: Now, but, I, 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 Alabama I, mean, I think has I mean, a chance I mean ba- I
1: think, I mean, Bama might But them Bama and
0: Ohio State I don't think are They've going been anywhere. staying power
1: since the sport Became a national phenomenon right. in the 40s right. And the 50s They're not going anywhere But I don't think expansion is going to solve it I still think the best teams Are going to beat teams That are really really good By a substantial
0: amount of points well, that's why I think the sixteen playoff would probably be the best the, the best in terms of entertainment value. Because your three six matchup, your four five matchup, they're going to give you legitimate games. I, I really you, I mean because you, you think? You well think you think two or three is gonna give you legitimate well, games. Well, because I mean, let's be honest. But I, I think that Texas AM, Notre Dame would have been a good game this past year. And I think that the three six matchup would have been a a a good game because you would have had, granted, Ohio State, they did they, they took it to Clemson, but at the same time, you you would have had a shorter turnaround for them, and you would have an Oklahoma team that look. I know they had two losses. That Oklahoma team was a much different team at the end of the year than they were at when when they lost those two. I could have made the the
1: argument that Oklahoma if Oklahoma would have been a one loss conference champion. They would have made the playoff over Notre Dame. Yeah. They so were that, a two-loss conference champion who right. the year before lost a playoff game by 42. That's why they weren't even in the discussion.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I I, I think there's nothing that's that's guaranteed, but I I agree with, with what Paul Feinbaum said in that you've got to try something. Because right now, if you are a casual college football fan, your fandom is probably slipping. Because let's be real honest, if like let's say to to and in terms of casual college football fans th- th- that's probably what most of the people on this podcast that listen to this podcast are most of these people that listen to this podcast are probably big time Heel football fans but when it comes to the national landscape look if there's a big game if you know when the playoff is on when the national championship game is on it'll be on their television but are they locked in are they really you know freaking out about the sport no, no. and part of it is because there is no parity now you pretty much know that the national championship game is going to be some form of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma one of those four teams is one of those four is guaranteed to be in the national title game just about every year it seems now and the playoff is usually going to involve three of those four after a certain amount of time you just have to look at look at yourself if you're college football and say look man this is not this is not working we've got to expand if anything just to be able to give some of these other teams hope even if it doesn't work out at the least You can say, look, we tried. We're trying to bring parity to the sport, but it's just not working. These teams are dominant right now, and this is just what it is. The The biggest
1: problem they have is unlike in college basketball. You can put 68 teams in a tournament, but there are still 20 to 25 teams that you could say, if they win the national title, I'm not going to be surprised. You can put 12 teams in a playoff format. For the college foo- for for in college football, and you're not gonna have, you're not gonna have the same amount of feeling. There aren't there aren't that many teams that are like, well, yeah, the we're gonna be surprised. You know, it, it's just, it's just not there, and and it's not their fault. It's really a testament to really just how freaking good Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney are with their jobs. They're hella football coaches. They're hella recruiters, and they've built two dominant programs. And it's not. I think I think when they when they went to the playoff, the playoff was needed at at that moment. And the first year, the playoff delivered. You had Ohio State come all the way back after being initially ranked, I think, fifteenth in the initial playoff rankings, all the way to the fourth team, and they won the national championship. But since then, this hasn't worked. So I'm sure you got to try something. But the problem is that there aren't usually 6, 8, 10, or 12 teams that are national title worthy. That's, that's the problem,
0: in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. They will not go back to two because if you do that— uh, you will more than likely almost lock almost lock yourself into Alabama, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Ohio State on rotator for years to come. The other thing about that is is they will not do that because, as you mentioned, Ohio State the first year of the playoff, and then in 2017, Alabama as a four seed won the national title. So they will use that as justification as to why you ha- you will have the fourteen playoff regardless. Um, when it comes to expanding though, the point that you brought up about the New Year six bowls, I think is is one that is if, if you are you know kind of on the fence about it, that should be what should put you over the top because if you want these New Year six bowls to matter, if you were one of those people that said, look, I don't you know this is terrible that these guys are opting out. These are New Year six bowls. these should matter. You want them to matter, then you go ahead and expand the playoff. Because they will matter at at that point. Because they will turn into playoff games. Um, You know, I think, like I said, I think six is 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 probably where you're looking at. Because I mean, again, you go back and 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 let's just you know look at some of the years. I mean, of course, uh, the was it? I I believe it was the first year. Was it the second year? No, the first year of the college football playoff. You you definitely it would have worked. Because remember, that was the year where, of course, Ohio State got in. Uh, But there was controversy because uh, you had Baylor and you had TCU that were there. That would have been a phenomenal playoff there. The next year, ah, not as great. You had Iowa, of course, who had a just a, a great season that year. And then Stanford, who had two losses at that time. Um, you go to you know 16, uh, let's see, Penn State, Michigan. Again, two lost teams, but brands for college football that would have been huge. Penn State was a team that at the time was playing a lot better at that time than they were playing earlier in the season. So Somewhat similar to that team that we just talked about this past year with Oklahoma, um, uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin uh, would have been the five, six, and seventeen when, of course, uh, Tua Tungavailoa led uh, Alabama from behind in the national championship game against Georgia. That's one of those years where you probably could argue it wouldn't work. Um, but I mean, you know, it, it, just looking 18, you know, Georgia and, and Ohio State, who had one loss, you could have made that, that argument there. Um, yeah, uh, let's uh, nineteen now. Nineteen, no way, because you had uh, you had a two-loss Georgia, two-loss Oregon that year. That was, you know, I mean LSU and Clemson were the two best teams in the country, and they met in the national title game. But then again, this past year, it could have worked. So I think for the most part, you see that six would produce some good results. Would probably produce some in, in some some good games, and and that's the thing. Those three, six, four, five matchups, they probably would give you some really great matchups. And if anything, hey, they give you great matchups before those teams move on to play the one and the two seeds and get absolutely <laughs> destroyed like we expect them to at this point. But um, I, to me, I think the max that you can go is eight because once you start getting into 12, then you're starting to devalue conference championships. You can lose – I mean, there are scenarios where if you are a team that starts the season inside of the top – definitely a top five, maybe even the top ten, you could lose three games and make make the playoffs. Well, my thing is if you go 12,
1: you make it sort of like an NCAA tournament thing. You're, whoever wins your conference tournament or your conference championship game, that's an automatic bid. So right there you get five.
0: And then – Group of five, is going to be included. Yeah, they, They're going to yeah, have to, if yeah, they do that.
1: And then that way you can shut up with the, you know, the 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 UCF fans and all. And you, that,
0: I mean, look, Cincinnati. I mean, or if, Cincinnati, if all those, all to, those, yeah, right. If they were to expand the best to the best twelve teams, I think if they expand to twelve, you may not even have to inc- do the automatic bids because at that point you would imagine that all of your conference champions would be in at that point. I'm not a fan of the automatic birth thing because let's say that, and I I don't I don't remember when it was. It was, oh, dude. It's got to be about three or four years ago. But you remember when UCLA played in the Pac-12 championship game as a team that was 500. If they would have won that game, they would have been seven and six. And in this scenario, they'd be playing for a title. No, I I, I don't see that happening. It can't. I, it does. It can't just, work. It's something like that. that you got
1: to do. I think the, one, the You go 12. Because I think now, granted, you may still have you know ten to twelve of your, your 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 thoroughbred programs. It may it may help recruiting out too, where the playoffs more expanded. You have a chance to
0: play on that landscape as opposed as opposed to that's, four. That's a very valid point that I don't think is being talked about enough. You will have the the. In terms of the, the the top end prospects, it will become more spread out again because p- players will feel like there is a chance that even if I go to a Penn State, if I go to um, at, at this point, you know, even if they you know haven't been playing well recently, if I go to a Florida State, uh, if I go to I'm trying to think of some of these teams in the middle of these conferences, even like even like some of these schools that haven't been great for a while now, like USC, where if we can get hot, if we can put enough of a group together and turn this th- this thing even in the right direction to some extent, we can be competitive enough to get into the playoff. And then all we have to do is have the right quarterback, have the right head coach, whatever. We can go on a little bit of, run, of a run and make it. And this is the re- th- this is one of the main reasons we brought up this topic. That would. Carolina would be one of those destinations yeah. because Mac Brown is a guy that has championship pedigree, and it's a place where you're seeing the talent amass there already, and in the ACC, who is that team besides Clemson right now that you look at and say is a dominant force in the ACC? There's no one because Notre Dame's no longer in the ACC. So, Carolina, that that's – if you're a Tar Heel fan – the expansion should be what you want. You yeah. should be pushing for that. Yeah. As as a Tar Heel
1: fan that co-hosts this podcast, to see Carolina play in the playoff, the playoff needs to expand. Mm-hmm. The chances of seeing them play a playoff game in the fourteen format is slim and none. That's just that's not a discredit to us. It's a credit to what Clemson's got going yeah. on. Credit to Dabo Sweeney and the boys. So as a Tar Heel fan, yeah. As but and I mean, like you mentioned, the casual college football fan. That's where. I've gotten to because of what's happened to the sport. I watch the Tar Heels and then the big games because well I got to, but like in terms of having to yeah. watch in terms of having yep. to watch twelve hours of college football, no. I'm gonna I'm a but I've also been a known NFL junkie. But the 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 sport since I first got into it in eighth grade isn't as interesting as it is now.
0: Well, I mean if you turn on a game in the middle of the afternoon, like let's say you turn on that twelve o'clock slate game. And you've got, just trying to think for, of teams from this past year. You got Northwestern, and I, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go out of conference. Let's say you got Northwestern and Auburn. Throw that game on. Let's be real honest with where those teams were at last year. You're watching that game, saying, "Okay, the the numbers next to their name tell me this is a good matchup. These two teams probably match up pretty well." They could be playing in pretty decent bowl games or at least games that were big when I was younger. But now, this game really doesn't matter because what is also going to happen is, let's say you go later into the season. Now let's say that that is Northwestern and Indiana this past year. Guess what? Middle of the game, you're going to have Bill Hancock, you're going to have somebody from the college football playoff committee in the middle of the third quarter of a drive doing an interview about the four teams that are in the playoff. They don't give a crap about the teams that are playing in the game. They don't care because guess what? Neither one of these teams are going to the playoff. That's that's where college football right now is in trouble. And that's where you you've got to figure out something cuz you're you're starting to lose those casual fans. Like when we were younger, we thought, "Look, man, you know, on Saturdays we want to be free. Well, why is that? We want to sit there for 12 hours straight and watch college football. Now it's 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 not really it, that. It, it, there's just not that allure anymore because of what has happened with the college football playoff. How much they value it. And, and, and I mean, look, you know, if you're ESPN, of course you're going to value it that way. You got the television rights to it. You're not just going to push it off to the side and say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll get to this playoff thing, you know, whenever we talk about it on Tuesday nights and then the rest of the week we're going to ignore it. No, you can't do that. But you've got to find a way to bring back the casual college football fans. And give some of these rabid fans of these uh, of these fan bases a reason to think and have hope that hey, we could we we can make a run and play for a national championship. We have a chance to build our program into being uh, you know one of the teams that could become a, a, a title contender. Because at this point, how many teams, how many you know fans of teams like even even us, when we sit here and talk about this Toriel team and what they're building into, do we honestly, when we look at this team? Do we really, truly believe that this team can build themselves into Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma? I don't. Like I've said multiple times, I think they can build themselves into Oregon, into Washington, teams that made the college football playoff had good runs but to be honest with you I don't know if they're a program that is going to be able to build themselves into a college football staying power for you know a decade two decades like we've seen with Alabama I I just don't see that happening so this will help that yes so that's what you're ultimately looking for good conversation there gives you a bunch of different opinions um and I think will- they should
1: go back to the writers letting decide, to be honest with you. <laughs>
0: We'll we uh, we'll flip we'll flip a coin between Alabama and Clemson and just pick the national champion each year. Feels like that's what we've been doing lately, anyway. Heads, but, Clemson
1: wins. Tails, Alabama loses.
0: Yeah, there we go. I I, I, uh, I to be honest with you, a few years ago I would have been all for that coin. Now I, I now no I'm not I'm not going to say I'm pulling for Alabama, but I ain't pulling for Clemson either. I'm getting <laughs> it's it's getting old as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, you know, that's this this is the type of conversation that we can have and look. The fact that we can have this conversation as as guys hosting a Toriel podcast is fantastic. If this was a conversation back. After the 2018 season, where we finished the season 2-9, and nine, we would not be having this conversation on the podcast. It would not be allowed because we would be saying, well, we're just trying to get to a, a bowl game. So, I mean, it's great that we're in this position and can have this conversation. Hopefully, we can leave
1: that to the NC State and Duke podcast. Um, congratulations to them extending Dave Dorn for another, I think, three years because Grandpa's going to keep kicking that ass. So you can go ahead and wrap it up from there.
0: There you go. Yeah, we, did. we had not mentioned that. Uh, we're we're just going to leave that because uh, we definitely are, are are people that are proponents of that so uh, that does it for this edition of the podcast Uh, guys make sure you head over to the website I mean we got a bunch of stuff coming up of course uh, the Tar Heels are at a spring practice but guess what guys they are of course going to be going through a big part of the offseason right now though uh, we got a bunch of stuff up there NFL Draft we'll have you covered with that we'll have you covered with the NFL Draft preview we'll of course have you covered with the NFL Draft recap and then we will uh, have some other stuff that we'll be doing in there uh, as well on the podcast side of things a couple interviews that are up uh, already uh, for the NFL Draft you want to go back and check out AJ Schult from the Pro Football Network Devin Jackson uh, who I can't remember where exactly he's from I know Steeler Depot is one of the places but I'm forgetting where else he's from really great interviews uh, a couple of months ago and then of course a more recent one with Kent Lee Platty the inventor of the Raw a relative athletic score uh, rather, and uh, he did a fantastic job. We talked to him uh, yesterday, so make sure that you guys go back and check that out. And then uh, also, we will have Russell Brown that is going to join us as well. Uh, that one will actually be up before this edition of the podcast, so make sure you go back and check those out. Daniel Parla-Greco, a guy that uh, we've known for a while. We've had him on the last couple of years. He cannot get on pre-draft. He will be with us post-draft to break down where everybody lands, everything like that. So Tons of draft coverage for you guys with the five Toriel prospects attempting to make the NFL. Uh, elsewhere, you do have uh, Carolina, uh, You know, uh, of course, as we mentioned, Kadri Jackson did enter, enter the transfer portal. More than likely, he's not going to be the only guy, so we're going to have you covered on that front. Any of the team news will be up on the website as well and then of course when it comes to the podcast we are still going to be doing some spring game stuff some spring game wrap up we're going to have Matt Schick from ESPN who was the guy that called the action uh, with EJ Manuel the other day so we are going to uh, we're going to have him on as well as uh, we are going to have Lee Pace from Go Heels he's going to stop by with us one of our friends of the show will stop by and talk to us sometime later on this week Lee is actually currently out venturing the world uh, uh, right now he is uh, on vacation so we'll let him get back and then we'll talk to him As well about the spring for the Tar Heels uh, so we'll have all that stuff For you guys we'll take it throughout the offseason On the basketball side of things already In offseason mode things have Settled down a little bit after the initial Wave of transfers Roy Williams surprise Retirement Hubert Davis taking over A couple of transfers coming in that Was a really quick way to recap what Was just a crazy segment uh, There for Carolina over just About a two week span uh, After the season concluded Uh, But they, you know, things are settling down, but there still are going to be some things that are going to happen. So we'll, of course, have you updated on that on the website as well. And then you can check out the Four Corners podcast, uh, which is the new name of the podcast right now. Of course, uh, Roy's Boys podcast, When Roy Retired went out the window uh, so we ended up switching the name Four Corners Podcast it is started over from scratch and turns the episodes as well so make sure that you guys check that out make sure you are subscribed you should be if you were originally subscribed to the Roy's Boys Podcast but uh, just in case make sure that you check and if you're not hit that subscribe button same thing with the Heel Tough Blog Podcast make sure you rate review and subscribe to the podcast rating and reviewing will help us move up some of those rankings so that when people search for the podcast they will be able to find it you uh, You you know, you guys have tracked it down, but there are some people that still haven't been able to find us just yet. And then the subscribe button, that is for you. So, all those great interviews that we talked about, all the great additions of the podcast that we'll do throughout the offseason will be right in your podcast library and ready for you to play. Uh, So, that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Oh, one one other thing, really quickly one of the places to get everything articles, podcasts, all of that Facebook page, like, Follow the Facebook page. Make sure you guys check that out. Heel Tough Blog on Facebook. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, and uh, again, just some great stuff that's going to be there for you on both fronts. So make sure that you are on those social media pages. Uh, follow me uh, on social media at HTB Anthony Josh at HTB Josh. And then, of course, the Heel Tough Blog Twitter page is at Heel Tough Blog. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast officially. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for. We're listening, and as always, go Tar Heels.